Just the things that have come about as a result have just been absolutely amazing. Um, so I, I can't wait to hear about this from a matchmaking and relationship perspective. So stay with us. We really want you to get involved in this conversation. Go to the Sensation Station Network Facebook page if you'd like to add comments, um, commentary, share your story. Um, and we will definitely um, engage with you in that way as well. So excited about a wonderful show. Stay with us. We'll be right back on the Live Exchange. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I am going to introduce our guest. Um, now, I was going to try to cut, you know, nice little pieces and snippets out of her bio um, because there's a lot, but I have to read it all. So bear with me because there is some amazing stuff in here um, with regards to how we're, you know, uh, how we're going to uh, introduce her. Um, so Spicy Marie is CEO and founder of the Spicy Life Incorporated, a relationship consulting firm and a magnetic matchmaker and relationship expert focused on encouraging individuals, couples to unlock the power of their passion in order to attract their purpose mate. Spicy Marie's life's purpose is helping people find love and teaching them to sustain it. She created easy to apply strategies and methods known as spicy tips based on her SPICY fundamentals, which means self, passion, intimacy, communication, and learning to say yes, the key components to forming and maintaining um, healthy and fulfilling relationships. Spicy has mastered the method of fueling deep connections and developed dynamic relationship curriculums, seminars, and events for her clients, including well-known celebrities and everyday people. She's been featured on ABC, The Tamron Hall Show, Access Hollywood, E! Daily, uh, e! Daily Pop, <laughs> NBC Access Live, VH1's Basketball Wives, BuzzFeed, Essence Magazine, Soul Pancake, Taste Made, LA TV Network, iHeartRadio, and more. You can catch her spicy tips every week on the Spicy Life podcast, which is available on all streaming platforms. She has a BA in communications from the University of California, Berkeley, and a master's in communication from USC, and a dating certification from the International Dating Coach Association. Spicy is a certified domestic violence advocate for the state of California and a, certifi a certified um, your tango expert, as well as a Chispa app spokeswoman. She is a proud member of Spelman's College Sweet Moo Pie chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Spicy Marie, who is a relationship expert and all of the things that I just said. Welcome. <laughs> 
tired of hearing your bio, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. I mean, there was no piece I could take out. I was like, well, the the you know when we and the reason why is because with relationship experts, people say, uh, yeah, okay, I'm just gonna put on the relationship coach hat and say, but your education speaks to it, your experience, the work you've yeah. done. This is the real deal. So I, I had to read the whole thing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the education, the education, and the actual qualifications, right? I'm also in a very healthy, loving marriage. Um, that so, helps. <laughs> I don't just talk the talk; I walk the walk as well. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, and and I'm not going to. Um, I guess I will speak my opinion. I think that um, a, because I'm a, I'm also a certified coach. I have a coach training school that's accredited um, internationally, and so I take this coach stuff very seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I see people who are quote unquote coaches of any kind, whether it's relationships and so forth, um, one of my pet peeves have been coaches. And I'm look, I'm not trying to take you down the road of bad talking other coaches because I. Right. But I do want to say when I see other coaches who are just about making the money and having this um, image and I'm going to tell women what to do and how to do it, it just gets under my skin because I'm like, where are your qualifications? Um, I'm, a I'm a member of the, um, the International Association of Relationship Research because I'm a researcher. I, I, yeah. I take this stuff seriously. So I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> yes. Um, so we can always talk studies. We can always talk like data. That's one of my favorite things to reference, you know, by um, relationship uh, coaching in my program is there's a spiritual component to it, but then there's also a biological, a psychological component to it. So wow. it's all of the components combined. It's not just like I used to date and now I can tell you what my experience was and this is what you should do. No, I'm not that type of coach. <laughs> I appreciate that. So how did you get into this line of work? Uh, so it started at a very young age, right? So I, I call it um, my purpose and me realizing my calling at a very young age because um, growing up, my mother was in multiple relationships. So I'm a child witnessing marriage after marriage and the gratification of relationships for my mother. And so seeing what her self-worth was and how it revolved around the men that she was with, I'm noticing this and paying attention and I start going up to men in the grocery store. I start going to, you know, from school plays and I'm pitching my mom, I'm at the gas station, pitching my mom oh, and wow. like, he's an amazing mom. I'm a phenomenal little girl. I think you'd oh. be a great father. Like I'm literally like, <laughs> you know, three marriages later, you know, we have a great uh, success rate if you call marriage the the quota for success at the time. But what we come, we came to the realization of was that I'm absorbing and paying attention to how my mother dated and what relationships, you know, the powerful effect that they play. Yeah. And so that's when I went and got, you know, the education behind it. She made sure I had the schooling and I wind up doing my own investigating and research. So I wasn't just out here matching people like I was with my mom and making <laughs> sure that they had, you know, the actual tools and methods to have successful, healthy, loving relationships. And so, you know, my vow is that I'm going to get mom, you know, husband number four. And this time we're going to make it, we're going to make it stick. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So when one of the, the, the pieces here that really kind of inspired the topic of the show, say yes. Um, tell me a little bit about your philosophy about saying yes when it comes to dating and, and how and marriage, you know, and just in yeah. relationships. So. In order to explain learning to say yes and why yes is so important, I have to give you the five spicy fundamentals because yes is a huge component of it. Um, usually one of the most challenging components, right? So my spicy fundamentals, like you had mentioned in my bio, are based on self. 
what self-covers is self-awareness, um, self-actualization, mm-hmm. uh, self-love, self-worth, and self-regulation. And okay. then the P is for passion and spicy. That deals with your hobbies, your interests, um, how you create passion in your life, but also how you ignite it in others. And then intimacy deals with how you create bonds and connections and how you guide the um, emotions of others as well. And then communication is how you deliver that message. How do you present? What's your body language? Um, And then the last component is learning to say yes, which is usually the hardest part. I can get people through, you know, the entire program or even um, willing to sign up and just, you know, ready, fired up to go. But it's that last component of actually the belief part. Mm. Willingness, right? Everybody comes to the table. I want a relationship. I want to be in love. I want to be a better version of myself. Okay, well, are you willing to be a better version of yourself? Because that's different from wanting. The will has to be there. That's the actual part where you do the work, the application, right? You could read a thousand books, but if you don't apply the information that's in there, if you don't do the exercises, the curriculum that I give you, if you don't practice the methods and the formulas and actually speak to other people, then that means you're not willing. Right. when it comes to willing, it's not just starting at this root of, do you believe that this is capable? But it also has to do with your ability to collaborate, your ability to negotiate. What are you willing to sacrifice what you want? And also explore, right? Trying new things and stepping outside of your comfort zone. Wow. Well, I, I'm willing I, I'm willing to guess, and, and we can talk about this after, that a lot of the, the hindrances to yes has to do with um, past events and trauma and fears and all of those things that people have. Um, because we can have a vision in our mind of what we want and what we want to do. And then when it's time to take that step, it's like, ah. So we're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to have trending topics. We're going to talk about a, uh, a really high profile relationship. Um, and then I want to dive into some of those barriers to yes. So um, stay with us, everyone. We'll be right back on The Live Exchange. All right. So trending today, um, well, trending this week, really. Um, so Vanessa Bryant, wife of the late Kobe Bryant, um, still gives me pills to even say that, um, speaks on his behalf during the class of 2020 um, Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame Enrichment Ceremony um, in Connecticut on May um, 15th. Now, while delivering her speech um, at the Hall of Fame, Vanessa Bryant imagined her late husband, Kobe Bryant's reaction to hearing her praise because she made the point that I never praise him in public because he already got enough of that. Um, and, and that was one of the things that I always had um, this playful beef um, with both Kobe Bryant about is he was so dang like sure he, he was he knew what he brought to the table he was arrogant I always used to accuse him of being arrogant as if I knew him <laughs> um, he says, quote I see him now arms folded in a huge grin saying isn't this some you know what um, Bryant said uh, she noticed noting that she rarely praised her husband in public um, and that he would get a kick out of her speech um, I think it's really interesting because you know a lot of times um, we say, you know, you, you know, you've got to praise your spouse or your your significant other in public. You've got to, you know, you can't for, most certainly not bring them down in public. Um, and so I thought, I don't know if you saw this speech, but I thought it was really um, cool and interesting how she was playful about it. Like, yeah, I don't do that in public because he's already got so much love in public. I do that in private. I would love to hear your thoughts about that. And, and this, this relationship was just had such a, an, an amazing journey an amazing story yeah so I love that she did that right she she finally acknowledged him publicly and like praised him 
which is amazing. But Kobe's not here to hear it. Yeah. Like yeah. that's the sad part, right? With a part right. that we for granted. So I love that Vanessa finally like had the courage and the motivation to do it. But under these circumstances, the reason behind it, it's almost as if like, dang, yeah. but you probably know that your husband needed that affirmation. And you know, mind you, that's a couple that we all know is like amazing and incredible. Right. But if we were to take relationship advice, you know, out of that, I would definitely recommend as a spicy tip that you affirm your partner all of the time, privately and publicly, because there's so much information that goes on, so many things that go on in our own thoughts that are negative, you know, um, thought processes and also beliefs that mm -hmm. you want to be that, you know, that voice of inspiration, that voice of encouragement and behind closed doors, even when, you know, they're not there or in public, you want to make sure that you are worshiping them, that they know how much you love and appreciate them while you still have time with them. Um, it really does great for your self-esteem when your partner affirms you. It actually is a part of, you know, self-determination theory and you being able to achieve and accomplish more of your goals when you know that you have a partnership and, you know, relatability and yeah. when is singing your praises. Yeah. You know, okay. So you said a couple of things. Um, if, first you said that, you know, you know, sometimes they just need to hear it. Um, and so does that apply to people who like Kobe, like he knows, like his, he's, it's almost like we need to bring it down a little bit. <laughs> what do you do when you have a spouse or a partner in life who they it's it's over the top. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, so let, we're talking about ego now. This person, I and mean, sometimes we call it like inflated ego, a big ego. Uh -huh. Sometimes we are affirming ourselves to fill our own love cup up, so that yeah. we have enough confidence and enough love to pour into others. I think that Kobe is infamous for um, giving an abundance of things, right? Whether it was his time, his energy, his inspiration, his encouragement, but. For him, he needs to fill his own love cup first, because if he didn't get affirmation from the world that day or people didn't sing his praises, he knows, OK, well, I did it for myself. And I think that that's something that we don't do enough of. I think that we try to be so humble that we don't um, pump ourselves up enough. We're not our biggest cheerleaders. Yeah. And so I have no problem. And I know people think that he is arrogant. But <laughs> I, I literally give myself 20 affirmations a day, like throughout the entire day of how incredible and how much love I have to offer or, you know, how I'm, in, you know, a phenomenal woman or, you know, I'm affirming myself all of the time so that I'm not dependent on other people for that. And I, I think that Kobe does a great job yeah. of that. And I actually, I'm, I'm here for the, for the self-affirmation. I love it. I love it. It's another way of saying yes. It's another way yes. of saying yes to ourselves. Um, so I can appreciate that. Um, and, you know, and I, and I believe honestly his willingness to affirm himself and to have the level of, and maybe there's ego, you know, but also the level of uh, assurance, you know, yeah. that is, I, I think has a lot to do with why he was the player that he was, the right. father that he was, the husband that he was, because he was so sure of himself. Of himself. Wouldn't you say, wouldn't you agree that people in general, but especially men, but people in general, we need ego strokes. Like we yeah. need, we need that confirmation from our partner. Yes, because we can hear it from the whole world. But if you know, if if we're not hearing it from our partner, now she did say she did did that at home. But but yeah. I hear what you're saying. Um, the the other piece of it is um, you had mentioned 
Um, let me, I don't want to jump before I'm ready, but okay. I'm going to jump to it. You had mentioned self-determination theory. That is actually one of my favorite theories. Um, it's, it's the theory I use in my own research actually. Um, and I would love, and, and I'll just summarize really quickly that in order for us to be determined and driven in life, we have three psychological needs that need to be fulfilled. You mentioned the relational piece. Then there's the sense of autonomy where we are able to make decisions for ourselves and make moves for ourselves. And then competence where we have a sense of knowing that we can do what we're right, set out right. to do. What does this have to do with relationships? So, so if you think of relationships as um, a reflection, right, of yourself, and I can tell how I can tell how much a person loves themselves by their partner. Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> so, your partner is a reflection of you. You made the choice to have this person in in your space in your vicinity. This is your voice of reasoning when it comes to decision making. Right. So the reason that those elements are so important when it comes to self-determination is because if even in partnership, if you can understand how to motivate your partner, you can get the needle and the ball rolling. You can yeah. move the needle. And so if you understand this is what my partner needs in order to feel connected and related to me, if this is what my partner needs in order to feel competent, right? Mm-hmm. Well, part of competence is that, that motivation, letting them know like, great job. You're doing a great job at taking care of, you know, the bills. You're doing a great job at taking care of the kids. You're doing a great job at, you know, your, at your sport, at basketball, or whatever your career goal is. You're yeah. doing a phenomenal job, keep it up. That motivates your partner to continue on the right path. I also, another, a, a, a dumbed down way of saying it also is um, pet the dog, right? Like, yes. <laughs> you know, it's the job to perform another trick. Yes. Uh, the cords or the strings for getting your partner to, you know, complete that task or to continue down the path that they're going when you motivate and encourage them. And yeah. that information part is so important because you need to let them know they're doing a phenomenal job. Well, I, and, and we have to go to break, but I want to throw in the autonomy piece because this is one of the things that people struggle with the most when it comes to trust. You've got to be willing to enable and or, or you know, allow for autonomy as well. You can't be on them every second checking their phones and following all their steps. And we're, I want to talk about that as well um, because that's something that um, people really struggle with trust. So, um, so stay with us. We're going to yes. continue this conversation with Spicy Muddy as we talk about saying yes. Um, and we'll be right back on the live exchange. All right, welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I am joined by Spicy Money. She is a, a, a coach, a, a matchmaker, relationship. Um, I'm just going to call you a relationship expert, but that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, because she does. You know, she's done the work in from a wide variety of angles, from the matchmaking piece to um, relationship maintenance um, in marriage. The last thing we were talking about um, was looking at self determination theory and how that's connected to. Um, our, you know, our roles or the ways that we approach or navigate our relationships. Um, and it has three components, um, making sure that in, in order for somebody to be determined, three components need to be in place, um, relatedness, autonomy, competence. And we are actually born determined. The determination is kind of chipped away at as we experience relationships or experience things in life that chip away at our autonomy, competence, and relatedness. I want to talk about autonomy for a second. Um, you know, instilling a sense of or, or nurturing a sense of confidence in your partner. Yes, that's something that, you know, it, it's kind of a, 
I want to say a no brainer, but maybe it's not. Um, if you want to <laughs> encourage them, I mean, everybody probably, some people probably struggle with that. And then the relational piece and, and really being connected with them. But the autonomy, I don't know that people understand the importance of that and how that's connected to the motivation that somebody has in a relationship, whether it's motivation for that relationship itself and to do what it takes to nurture it or motivation for themselves in their own lives. And I would, I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. So when it comes to autonomy, right, which is like the third component, there's two forms of autonomy. It's intrinsic or extrinsic, right? So intrinsic is, it comes from within. It's your own deep desire, your love for this thing. Um, and when it's intrinsic, that's usually motivated by your passion for it or the way that it makes you feel about yourself when you do that. When it's extrinsic, it's outside forces, such as uh, vanity, money, cars, houses. It's things that you can like, superficial elements that you can like physically touch um, that usually are financial related. And right. when it comes to those external motivating factors, studies actually show that the autonomy actually dies more when it's extrinsic. The the um, amount of self-determination when it's focused on extrinsic isn't as powerful as when it's intrinsic, when it's coming from your own personal desire or need to gratify yourself. And so when it comes to even in the dating world, right, when we put um, ultimatums out there or we try to coerce someone into being in love with us with like tons of gift giving or, um, you know, look at my beauty. This is why you should love me. Right. That's not enough to make the person really feel like, hmm, this is really how I feel. This is my deep desire within. When it comes naturally and the person feels like it's their choice and it's intrinsic, it's actually I want to be in love and I want to be in relationship with you. Now they're making an autonomous decision and they feel like they're in control. They feel like they are driving the seat and that it's not a decision forced by extrinsic motivating factors. So men ultimatum, especially when it comes to commitment, we have to just let them know, look, this is what I'm looking for. If it's not in alignment with you, then unfortunately I'm not gonna move on to the next, but what I can't do is force your hand to love me. Right, and, and also just the idea of if there are certain um, needs that a person has, um, guilting a person into fulfilling those needs, scaring a person into fulfilling those needs, all of those are extrinsic and are not sustainable. Right. You know, yeah. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. really good. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, like, I love self-determination theory because um, I think that we don't appreciate it or utilize it enough because a lot of people just don't understand Right. Um, how to motivate others or even how like motivation within themselves is required. And, you know, you had mentioned Kobe earlier, <laughs> right? <laughs> He's like, even if you aren't going to let me know I'm competent, I'm going to let myself know I'm competent. Yes. Even, you know, the outside isn't motivating me. Like he's, it's autonomous for him. And so I think that a lot of us can relate more to that. The more that we put our own, you know, energy and efforts in, and you had mentioned earlier, um, the sometimes you know like limiting beliefs that we have how outside yeah. factors and relationships sometimes affect that right um, there's three elements to that as well you know sometimes you're predisposed to already having negative thoughts about yourself um and negative experiences also within the household is the second one like the environment you grew up in mm -hmm. but then the third element is your relationship experiences so sometimes when you have these limiting beliefs or you don't have a high level of self-determination it sometimes is in reflection to your the things that you've experienced in life and being told no versus, you know, having experienced a lot of yeses and wins and then believing that you're capable of those wins. Right. Oh, that's so good. Um, you know, and that's the other thing is we 
and it's kind of, it kind of ties into two different things you said, but this idea that all of your three psychological needs do not necessarily have to start with somebody else. Um, as you said, Kobe figured out how to do that for himself. <laughs> um, and, and so how do you make sure that you have a sense of competence? What is it going to take for you to be sure of your abilities and your, your, you know, whatever that takes, if it means I need to bring certain people into my life or I need to surround myself with a certain uh, context or environment, um, you know, how can I make sure that I am getting the relatedness or the relationships, the connections I need? These are the kinds of things that I think as single people as well, um, when we are on the hunt, whatever, yeah. or whatever we are doing uh, for a relationship, we, I think that we need to find ways to bring those three elements into our lives ourselves so that when we step into a relationship, it's already the norm. Yeah, absolutely. What you're speaking to is like when it comes to competence, right? You're speaking to like our skill set. So when it comes to our skill set, it's like, well, how much energy and effort have I put into actually learning about this thing that I want with all my heart? Yeah. Um, I work with a lot of people and I'm sure that you do as well that are successful in a lot of different areas of their life. And you can see what they've prioritized by their level of success. Mm. And for me at the spicy life, when it comes to, you know, relationship coaching and people who are coming to me, I can tell, okay, you did not prioritize relationships or even getting better at relationships or improving upon the things that, you know, maybe your parents should have taught you, but didn't because they didn't have the tools themselves. Right. Um, and now you're just, you know, the blind leading the blind and, you know, trying to figure it out as you go along. Whereas if we invested in coaching, if we invested in programs, workshops, um, you know, podcasts, self-help books, actually, you know, therapists doing the work for our self-improvement, we would start to feel the confidence that we need in order to actually attain that skill set, practice it, trial and error, become comfortable with failure and getting better and then trying again. Yeah. You, you, I, I'm sorry. You said the word failure and I have to jump on that. Um, I, you know, cause I, I was talking to um, somebody who is actually training to be a coach and, um, and she said that somebody that she was kind of practice coaching with. Um, so they don't like the idea of failure. They don't like being uncomfortable. And it's interesting because that is really the only way that we can get better and grow and prosper um, in life is by being uncomfortable. Yeah. What do you say to people? Because I'm sure you hear this all the time, yeah. the matchmaking. Yeah. You know, how do people deal with this discomfort? What, what do you advise there? Rejection is a muscle, right? That's usually what we're afraid of is uh, the fear of the unknown, a lack of acceptance, right? So if I'm afraid that I'm not going to be accepted or you're going to judge me or I'm going to embarrass myself, I'm not going to shoot my shot. I'm not going to put myself out there if I'm afraid of missing it. Well, if I don't shoot that shot, then that's I just took half of my chance of even behaving, you know, to, to make the shot away. So yeah. like if I did it to basketball and Kobe once again, you know, <laughs> you had a 50, 50 percent shot of making it if you take that shot. But if you don't take it, it's 100 percent chance of not making it. And right. so the only way to become better at it is to actually try. And people will say, well, like, well, you're a relationship expert and, you know, you're married now. And I'm like, yeah, but I promise you I've dated uh, over a hundred people in order to get where I am, which means I've also experienced more heartbreaks, more no's, more rejection. Mm -hmm. So the only way that I even got to the place where I am is to have it allowed myself the, the ability to fall and figure out, okay, this is how I learn from my failures and I get back up. 
And instead of calling them losses, I now call them learning lessons. And Absolutely. you have to change your perspective on it. It's not a loss. It's a learning lesson. So I, I'm going to dig into your experience a little bit to the extent that you're comfortable. Well, when you say that you've dated, you know, you've dated a lot and, you know, now you're married. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you that my dating strategy, if I'm asking you to be transparent, I'll be myself. Um, but my dating strategy is really I, I don't once I start seeing things that are not a fit, that are not a match, I don't explore any further. I mean, if it is a, an absolute deal breaker, I just, I realize it, I see it for what it is and I move on. So what that means is a lot of one and done dates. You know what I mean? <laughs> it means that the first night, if we are sitting at dinner or whatever, and we're talking and you know, you, you, you tell me something that, and I'm trying to think of something that would be like the absolute deal breaker. Um, you know, that you can't stand women who, you know, they always got to throw their PhDs around and so forth, so mm -hmm. forth. I have a PhD, um, you know, and this has a real negative vibe about women mm -hmm. who are educated. For me, that's an immediate red flag. And so I see no need to try it out for, for a few more weeks to see where it goes. I'm yeah. curious to know what, how that approach sounds in terms of, is this, you know, or do you just keep trying or what you do in terms of, you know what, I'm just, I'm just practicing. I'm just having fun. I'm just dating. You yeah. know, um, it looks like we have to go to a break. So I would love to hear your answer. So everybody stay with us. We'll be right back on the live exchange. All right, welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I am joined today by Spicy Marie. She is the CEO and founder of The Spicy Life Incorporated. It's a relationship consulting firm, and she is also a magnetic matchmaker and relationship expert. Um, so one of the things that I asked before is just in your own dating strategies. Um, everybody wants to know, oh, she's married now, so what did she do? Um, but I'm curious to know what your dating strategy was when you were single. Okay, so let's be really clear. What you had mentioned was that you see red flags when you had gone on a date and are quick to like release someone and on to the next, right? Right. One thing that I want to encourage people is to really be clear on what phase of their life they are in when it comes to relationships and dating. Because not every phase is meant for you to be with your purpose mate. Sometimes you're still walking in your purpose Right. in order to discover that and then in order to meet your purpose mate so there's different phases that we go in in our adolescence we have puppy love then we you know fall into like the very clingy you know attachment style anxious attachment and then we go into like sometimes even our hoe phase and then it turns into <laughs> like, okay i'm going to just focus on me and self-love i'm doing a detox and then right. finally we get to this place of okay i am dating with intent and i am ready for my purpose mate Oh, that's good. It's clear that like there's different phases we go in and not every single phase has to be this interview process for finding the one. Sometimes right. learning about ourselves and a lot of it is just that self-discovery and learning what we like. But the tool and the exercise that I give my clients at The Spicy Life is to build a pizza. It's okay. makes it very clear. When you are ready for your person, you have to build a pizza. And what a pizza is, is the crust, the sauce, the toppings, right? The crust is the bottom foundation, the layer. What are the five qualities that this person needs to have in order to be a good human being. In order for you to respect this person, what five qualities must they have? What are these four values that they must exude? Then right. The next layer is the sauce. How do they have to treat you? What's the kind of treatment that you need in order to be in relationship with them? Mm -hmm. And then the next top is the toppings, right? What do they have to be physically in order for you to be sexually attracted? 
And the problem with the toppings is we usually start with the toppings, the looks, find <laughs> out, you know, how they treat us. And then we try to find out, are they a good person? We're doing it right. all backwards. And this is why I tell, you know, even my clients, like, let's go on three dates. If they don't completely kill the deal breakers or disrespect you, let's mm -hmm. give it, let's give them three chances, three chances to show up as who they really are. And right. if there are some things that show up, we start asking more questions about that, right? So you said that someone had made a comment about your PhD. Yeah. We need to we need to further investigate. What do you mean by that? When you mm -hmm. say, you know, that uh, you don't like when people throw around their degrees, what do you mean by that? So that we can get more clarification because sometimes we're coming in with our own preconceived notions or sometimes our own, you know, insecurities or sometimes, you know, past judgments that we've experienced. Right. Get someone to elaborate more on that. And that's a great form of communication because right. we are quick to misinterpret and quick to jump the gun and make assumptions. Mm -hmm. So I just want us to like be very clear on, you know, being direct and, and asking people to elaborate on their thoughts so we can have a better understanding. Right. Right. OK. OK. So I have another one for you on on date number one. Um, I I beat somebody up almost to the to the end of their life, but they got what they deserved. <laughs> And so you would think like things like that. It's like, okay, we don't do date one, two, three for that, right? We, we might do date one, three, two, three, four in a misinterpretation, like a PhD thing, but something like that where you're like, ooh, safety. Well, <laughs> I, even like, let me, let me clarify, even like PhD thing, like if education is one of your core values, they just insulted you, right? It's, it's, it's important to you. They just insulted you. So the reason why we ask, what do you mean by that is because it may have not been their intent. Right. And so, but when it comes to like someone communicating that they almost killed someone. Uh, <laughs> so, there, so it's not always just three dates, just, but you're yes. saying within reason. Within reason. I'm saying yeah. like have your deal breakers in advance. Everybody yeah. should know their five deal breakers right. when it comes to relationships and what they refuse to accept. What are your non-negotiables? Okay. Yeah. This person should not do this, 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 and this. What are your non-negotiables? And it can't be like, he can't be under six foot. That's not a non-negotiable. <laughs> right. I'm talking about like, he cannot be verbally abusive. Yeah, mine is safety. <laughs> like my non-negotiable, I have to be safe emotionally and physically in a relationship. Very good. So yeah. that's definitely one. Yeah. The moment that's that good. feel that, we're like, no, this is a deal breaker. So like, right. but I think that oftentimes we have very soft deal breakers and very hard deal breakers. And mm -hmm. we can hurt. The moment that something comes up for you or you're triggered, you're instantly like, no, let me pull back and retreat. Right. But oftentimes we will use these as excuses to yeah. not do more, to not investigate, to not do our due proper research and have an excuse to not get uh, emotionally attached to someone when really we have a fear of intimacy. And it's not so much that every single person on this world sucks. We're yeah. dealing with our own personal baggage oftentimes that we have to work through. That's really good. And that's that that's kind of leads me to that question I was going to ask earlier about the blocks to yes. So we have triggers, we yeah. have things that block us, we have things that cause us to make excuses. Mm -hmm. Um what what can that what does that look like? How does somebody know that that's the thing that's really governing their decisions and not necessarily a sound mind if that's I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but you know, <laughs> how do we know it's our triggers and our blocks that are making these decisions? Well, we're going to look for patterns when it comes to um, dating. And that's why the, the S in spicy is so important is self-awareness. Yeah. Like you really have a, a clear understanding of who you are, what you want, and then what you have to offer. 
you're, you're able to not just interpret information, but also operate with self-regulation. And what self-regulation is, which I'm sure you already know, but we're going to talk about it for the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like this ability to discern not just the emotion that you're experiencing, but also the emotion that the other person is experiencing. And how do I behave in a way that serves my relationship goal, right? I may be feeling this emotion, but if this emotion doesn't serve the outcome that I'm trying to achieve, and I'm going to behave in a way that hurts the other person or that affects the other person negatively and not get my need met, maybe I need to perform differently. Maybe I need to, you know, operate in a different way. Right. And That's- I think things like, things like self-sabotage come up. We start making things out of fear when we lack that self-awareness and we don't look at the patterns that we've created and we want to point the blame and put it on everybody else instead of taking accountability for ourselves. That, wow, that's so good. I mean, and one of the pieces of that I want to focus in on is the emotion regulation. Mm-hmm. We've just had one of the most difficult years of any of our lives yeah. <laughs> um, in this past year, you know, starting with, you know, in 2020, death of Kobe Bryant, death of several people, mm-hmm. and then and then COVID hits. Um, and then we experience more death, more, more, you know, just life changing things happening, not to mention the impact that this has had on dating and relationships. So the emotion piece, I would imagine, um, may have been more difficult to manage over the past year. Yeah. What are you seeing in, in terms of emotions and emotion management in people these days? Well, when it comes to the spicy life, right? A ton of people are coming in um, and have for this past year really focusing on the self-work, the self-element, understanding that um, it was easier when they were able to like go through interpersonal connection or communication with others. And they were able to be distracted from a lot of the things that they needed to heal. Right. Because you're like busy, busy, busy before the world shut down. We were nonstop. Everybody was at 100, just going, going, going. <laughs> yes. And then when the world shut down, people had to actually sit with themselves. And that was uncomfortable. Like yeah. not being able to be dependent on your relationships to um, mask some of your sentiments, mask some of the flaws that you have. And so another exercise that I give a lot of my clients is to do a personal SWOT analysis on themselves. We do it for business all the time. But we don't ever do it ourselves. Oh, so okay. what are my strengths? What makes me amazing? What's my, you know, what are my Kobe vibes? What do I, you know, what do I have to offer the world? And then what are my weaknesses? What are the things that I'm insecure about? The things that I don't like about myself? What are the things that my exes have told me? You know, the, that you know my family have shared with me. And then what are the opportunities for growth? What are those things that I can start to chip away at and work at? And then what are the threats to my life if I don't? What's the threat to my love life if I don't work on these things? Oh, and that's so good. Yeah. Lot with putting things in perspective for you. And I think one of the hardest pieces that you just mentioned there, what are my exes saying? Because if we're not honest with ourselves about how that plays out and and the extent to which you're, you have a role, um, it's going to be really hard to, to learn lessons from that. Um, we have to go to another break. Um, so when we come back, um, I, I have an, another question for you that we can dive into. Um, so stay with us. We'll be right back on the Live Exchange. All right. Welcome back. Live exchange of Dr. Today we are talking about um, what it means to say yes walk and live in your purpose. Um, and I am joined by um, Spicy Buddy. She is the CEO and founder of the Spicy Life. So um, we have about uh, five minutes, and I wanted to just get from you um, what are some of the most important things that you want people to know as they step into dating? We're not quite post COVID yet. It's kind of a little blurry out there. We're not really sure where we are. Uh, but from a, an emotional and even practical standpoint, 
Um, what do people need to be thinking about as they venture into dating? <laughs> people are dating and like, the reason why I laugh is because I'm like, it's hilarious all of the negative things that people tell themselves about dating. All of the uh. negative um, thoughts that they allow to, you know, circulate in their head on a daily basis. Um, I hear oftentimes like, I don't like dating apps. I hate the dating process. I just want love. Mm -hmm. So I think really finding a way to enjoy dating again and seeing it more as a fun game, seeing it more as, you know, this process that you get to learn from along the way and not making decisions when it comes to dating out of fear, but making decisions out of love. And I think that people have oh, to fall back in love with love, fall in love with the dating process. Because if we were to use law of attraction, if you hate this thing and this road that you're going down and you only want the end result, when you get that end result, it only becomes even more challenging. Like you still have to date your partner. You still, yeah. you still have to like the opposite that, you know, you still have to, or the same, but you still right. have to like this other person. Yeah. People have fallen out of the idea or out of love with love. So hmm. things again, that make it enjoyable. Like how can, you know, how can we appreciate these moments of connection? Not every single person is a win or the one, but what did I learn from that experience in this dating process? I don't think we look at it enough of like me gathering research. We look at it more as a chore or an obligation in order to get to this like long-term goal versus right. enjoying it along the way will make you so much more light and enjoyable in the process, even for your date. Yes. Oh, that's so good. You know, I'm, I'm actually um, in, in the middle of, well, I've, I've already finished the first draft. It's gone to the editor writing a book called Joyfully Single. <laughs> and, and so much that you're saying, including self-determination theory, yeah. uh, is all integrated in there. Um, but because there's just so much to think about. And and to your point, um, you know, remembering that this is about love. This is not, a, you know, necessarily a job interview process yeah. or so forth. This is about love. And I, and I would add to that, um, that it's also about finding joy, um, but also securing the joy that you already have in your life. Um, and, and I think we miss that a lot. I'm guilty of, uh, you know, looking at dating in a negative stand, you know, from a stand. I have certainly done that um, until I realized, you know, it's it's really about finding joy in your life, about cultivating love in your life. And, and that's really what it, having another person around is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. you bring up an amazing point about even like personal happiness. Um, you, you're not going to be a hundred percent happy a hundred percent of the time, right? You need to at least be like 70 to 80% happy with your life before, um, expecting someone else to fill this, you know, love cup up and be, you know, the entire full dependency on them for your happiness. Right. Like you just have to find happiness within yourself first and do things that you actually enjoy because also too, nobody wants to be with somebody who's unhappy and you're only going to attract unhappy is going to attract another unhappy person. You both are going to be miserable together so oh, gosh. at your level of self-esteem. You date at your frequency. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole other. Yeah. Trauma attracts trauma. Mm -hmm. oh, oh my gosh. So much, so much to talk about, but uh, we are at the tail end here. I um, want to know how people can contact you, connect with you, follow what you're doing. I always let them know you guys can play with my Twitter or stroke my Instagram at Spicy Mind. <laughs> Go to thespicylife.com, um, register for my Spicy Life e-course that I'm rolling out. It's a six-week online curriculum where we do a weekly workshop led by yours truly, Spicy Mari, um, where I'm coaching you on SPICY and helping you actually become more magnetic to attract your focus mate. 
Oh, that's so well said. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Spicy Money. We are going to definitely have to stay online or stay connected. Um, It's a point. I love your work. I love what you're doing. We need more um, people out there doing this kind of work. Um, Or they can all just go to you. Why? (laughs) (laughs) I encourage you all definitely to check her out and and connect and um, stay with us. We have another hour. We're going to continue this conversation about saying yes. And um, uh, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. We will be right back. Hello and welcome to the second half of the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela. And uh, the first hour I was joined by Spicy Mari. She is the CEO and founder of The Spicy Life. And we got some really good um, relationship um, tips and Um, A great conversation around that. And just for those of you who may have missed what SPICY means, I'm just going to quickly, it's an acronym that stands for self, passion, intimacy, um, communication, and learning to say yes, which then became the uh, inspiration for today's show, which is about how to say yes. And so um, that's what we're going to be talking about in this hour. Um, And for the second half of this hour, um, we are going to be joined by um, a licensed um, professional counselor, Arnita Holloman. Um, She has a really important announcement to make. um, So I'm really excited about that. But she is also um, quite well versed in what it means to say yes. So I'm I'm, I'm just really looking forward to that. Um, And so in the meantime, um, I really want to talk about this whole idea of saying yes. It's one of the things that um, I talked about in my first book, Letters to the Brokenhearted. And it really was um, this idea of giving yourself voice lessons. Um, And what are voice lessons? A lot of us struggle with voice and struggle with the ability to say yes to the things we want, say no to the things that we don't want. So this idea of voice lessons is how do we use our voices to um, push forward, to advance the purpose that we have in our lives. And the way that we do that is exactly what I just said. We learn how to say yes to what we want and how to say no to what we don't want. Um, So um, we're going to go to a break. I I think we're going to break. (laughs) Uh, We come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. So stay with us on the live exchange. All right, welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and um, talking about how to say yes, um, the power of being able to say yes. Um, and I, I want to share um, some an excerpt from my book, Letters to the Brokenhearted, um, in which I talked about the power of your voice and really what it means to be able to use that voice to get what is needed for your life. So um, the Letters to the Brokenhearted is a series of letters um, to women who have experienced heartbreak and are trying to find ways to overcome that heartbreak. So this is letter number 22, and it's called The Power of Your Voice. And it says, my sister, it's time to take some voice lessons. Don't worry, you won't need an angelic voice for these lessons. In fact, the firmer and coarser your voice is, the better. When rebuilding your strength, there are two very essential vocal skills to focus on developing. Your ability to say no to what you don't want and your willingness to say yes to what you do want. Um, 
That's it. It's that simple. Now, I don't know about you, but the primary reason why I was in each of my unhealthy relationships for so long was because I did neither of these two things. I accepted whatever I got, and I hoped that because I was kind, the relationships would eventually change into something I wanted and deserved. I didn't say no because I thought my boldness would tick them off, and I didn't say yes because I thought that what I wanted was too much to ask for. And I think that's really common where we are afraid to say no because we don't want to see, be seen in a negative light. There's this, this um, need, this is natural human need to want to be accepted and to want to have connection to other people. And so that fear of saying no is about losing that connection, about being rejected, about not being accepted by the people in our lives who we love. So we are, we are afraid to say no. The reality though is that if we are truly surrounded by people who love and genuinely care about us, even if the no stings, even if the no is not necessarily what they wanted to hear, if they love and respect and care for us, that no will be respected, that no will be accepted. Um, and if it is not, then that is a signal, that is a cue that this may not be a healthy situation for you, especially if your no is a no that is in your best interest, that protects you, that enables you to have the level of security and peace or success or whatever it is that you need um, in that particular situation. So we have to be willing to say no. And sometimes our willingness to say no um, is, is, if for no other reason, is a revelation in terms of our safety in a relationship and, and whether or not we are heard and whether or not our voices matter. Um, and so sometimes I, I encourage people to, to be willing to say no um, for that very reason, to be able to gauge um, you know, the, the level of importance that their voice has in that particular relationship. Of course, there are a lot of different ways to say no. It may be just the word no itself. Um, no is a full sentence, as we have heard um, said before. Um, and there also can be other, you know, maybe it's, it's, a, it's a no for this particular time period. Um, perhaps it's, it's, it's a no to the particular way um, that something is being asked to, you know, be executed. Maybe it's a different way that it needs to happen. But we all, um, you know, I think the most important point is to be willing to speak your truth um, when it comes to something that is not a fit for you to be able to say no. Um the other part of that is your willingness to say yes. Um, and, and a lot of times our fear for saying yes is about thinking that we are too much, is about thinking that what we want is too much and or that it will be an imposition or a problem um, for somebody else. And so being willing to say yes to something, uh, an opportunity that arises, you know, if I, for example, um, have, you know, this amazing opportunity on the table that um, I, I might be afraid to pursue because I don't know what other people are going to think. Maybe they think I'm too selfish. Maybe they think I need to focus more in on my motherhood. Um, maybe they think that that is a, such a risky thing that I shouldn't do it. The, the, the yes needs to come down to what is in the best interest for you. Um, one of the conversations that I, I was actually just having um, yesterday um, with my mom, we were talking about having, um, you know, what kind of household I'm creating for my daughter. And the, and the, the idea that I'm willing to say yes to myself 
is really saying yes to her as well. So for her to see me doing some of the things that I love that give me life, that, that um, you know, help prosper me and grow me, even if it may appear to be selfish. You know, if I'm just going to take some time and sit on the deck for a few hours and write, or if I'm going to, you know, go and get a massage or, or whatever it is that I need to do, um, those yeses to myself are contagious. And they, um, they impact the lives of other people because then they realize, Maybe I could say yes, too. I can't tell you how many people um, have watched my yeses and have then made transformations in their own lives because they realize, oh, my gosh, she said yes to this and it wasn't the end of the world. She said yes to this and her and her daughter didn't feel neglected. She said yes to this and the world did not, um, you know, come crashing down on her. Um, And so I think that when we are willing to say yes, um, we also, as, um, um, oh gosh, uh, I can't think of, Marianne, Marianne Williamson, as Marianne Williamson, Williamson said, um, it also gives others permission to do the same. Um, and so think about your yeses in terms of what your unique needs are, um, and then allow that to be your guide rather than the fear of what other people think or the fear that you might be too much um, or the fear that you're imposing on somebody else. Be willing to um, say yes. And so those are the voice lessons. Um, That is what I want you to work on. I want you to think about how can I say no to the things that I want and say yes to the things that I do want. I'm assuming we're going to a break. So we are not going to a break. <laughs> when I see my producer, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe she's ready. Um, so so those are the voice lessons that I want you all to take um, in terms of how can I make sure that the things that are important to me um, are are realized, that I am, you know, speaking my truth, living in my truth, walking in my truth. Um, and so those are... Um, the things that tend to keep us, that tend to block us from um, living the lives that we actually want to live. And I have to say that after the last 11 years of my life, I was divorced 11 years ago, and I started saying yes to myself at that very moment. And the way, the trajectory, the path, the journey that my life has taken ever since, um, because I learned how to say yes, I did not know how to say yes within the context of my marriage. And I do wonder, had I had my voice back then, I do wonder what would have happened and what, you know, sort of... um, how my life would have unfolded within the context of that marriage. I think it would have um, made all the difference. But what I did find is once I did leave that marriage and I did find my voice, um, I I can't even imagine what my life would be like had I not figured that out. Um, So powerful, powerful, powerful. And I want want you all to practice that um, this week. If your struggle is to say no, work on saying no to somebody or something. If your struggle is to say yes, I want you to embrace something and say yes with both hands. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Dr. Pamela. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela. Um, And today we are talking about the power of saying yes. 
and what that means, what that looks like, how we can do that. In the first hour, we were joined by Spicy Mari, who is CEO and founder of the Spicy Life Incorporated. And we looked at saying yes from the standpoint of love, dating, and relationships. In this hour, we are really looking at our purpose and how we can say yes, um, you know, from the context of our purpose. And I wanted to share an article by Terry Maxwell um, and in which she's talking about what it means to find success through our purpose. And there's really kind of three elements that we want to focus on as we are finding success through our purpose. Um, number one is first finding our purpose. Um, a lot of times we don't always know what that is, um, you know, and it is, uh, I, I personally um, believe that it's fueled inside. It's fueled by the things that were, um, that, that, bother us, that inspire us, that really evoke um, emotion in us to take action. Um, but Terry Maxwell, um, she says, you know, although it's easier, you know, to go with the flow um, and do the popular thing and not rock the boat, sometimes when we want to find success in our purpose, we've got to be willing to go outside of the flow and to rock the boat. So the first one with finding your purpose, um, the first step to getting real is to embrace your true self, not what other people expect you to be, but who you actually are inside. How do you find out who that person actually is? Um, and I think who that person actually is, is the person that you are when you are in your safe space. And if you are not, uh, if you don't have opportunities to find that safe space or to be in safe spaces, that is probably the first order of business. How do I get safe? How do I get secure so that I can just breathe and be who I am. Um, for some people, that is more possible um, than others, but that is one thing um, that really kind of helps you get a deep understanding of who you are. Uh, but with that said, we also learn a lot about ourselves when we are um, you know, up against the wall, when we are in danger, when we do need to figure something out. And so there is knowledge in both realms. Um, she, Terry Maxwell re recommends that we go beyond what others think and look deep within. The truth is we are on this earth for a reason. And to understand what that deeper reason is, um, it simply begins with purpose. Um, when I talk about finding purpose and understanding what our purpose is, um, I, I have an analogy that I tend to use about if we look at the purpose of the earth, and then we also look at our own purpose and just kind of compare the purpose of the earth with the purpose of mankind. So the purpose of the earth is, is two things, is really to protect itself, to make sure that it's sustainable and that it continues to work and nurture itself the way that it needs to, to survive. And then also to nurture and sustain the life that lives on it, which includes us. It's, as soon as something threatens the safety of the earth, the earth does what it has to do to make sure that it that it remains safe, even if it means taking us out. So um, so if we look at that and in, in translate it over to humanity and we think about the purpose of humanity, I see the parallel. And the parallel is that first and foremost, we need to take care of ourselves. We need to make sure that we are safe and that we are sustainable um, so that we can serve the second purpose, which is to then care for humanity. So we care for ourselves and then we care for humanity. So if we're struggling with what is my purpose, I suggest starting there. First and foremost, care for yourself. Second, care for humanity. What elements of humanity are important to you? 
Um, what elements of our survival is important to you? If that is the environment, that is an aspect of taking care of humanity. If that is about child um, care, welfare, child safety, child security, um, then that, it, you know, where does your heart go? If it's about relationships and helping people have healthy and and fulfilling relationships, if it is about, um, you know, building a business that helps people find their own purpose, whatever it is. So think about it from, you know, that one of one uh, aspect of your purpose is to take care of yourself and to make sure that you are able to be here to serve your purpose. And then the second is some element of humanity. So that's the first one. Find your purpose. The next one for Terry Maxwell is living your purpose. So once you found it, live it. The level of peace that comes from stepping into purpose is only the beginning. When you truly embrace purpose, you go from doing what others think you should do to doing what you love. One career is aligned, once career is aligned with purpose, fulfillment, uh, fulfillment and success abound. And so we all have, we're at different phases of our lives and we have different things that um, enable us to walk and step into our purpose. Um, and so if our purpose is um, I am throwing myself into my family and that is my purpose on this earth because I want to make sure that what comes out of this household are productive human beings, then that is my purpose. If my purpose is that I am running a church and I want to make sure that the people in my church understand um, you know, their value and, and who they are and what their purpose is on this earth, then I'm going to run a church that does exactly that. If my purpose is to write and, and to write words that are going to empower and inspire people, um, that is all, these are all different versions of walking our purpose. And it's going to look very different um, for all of us. And then the last thing is to be you. Everything needed to live an authentic and meaningful life is already within you. You already have it. You already are enough. It is already there. So it's simply a matter of uncovering it. Don't let fear stand in the way of getting real with yourself. A lot of times there are things that we just don't want to face because we have, you know, the, it, it leads us to the dark places in our past. It leads us to the the, the hurtful places in our past. But sometimes we really need to face those things and to understand that those are the things that sometimes rise up to keep us from stepping forward. Um, those fears can be absolutely debilitating. So we have to understand that we are... Um, that we that, that our fears don't necessarily need to guide us and to be aware of when the fear is the thing that's guiding us. So by giving into your fear, you deprive yourself of the opportunity to step into true power and to achieve happiness. So um, those are ways to find success through your purpose. So I hope you were taking notes. I hope you're thinking about that. Um, when we come back, um, we are going to continue this conversation about how to say yes and the power in saying yes. I'm Dr. Pamela, and we will be right back. All right. Welcome back to Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pam, and today we are talking about the power of yes and what it means to say yes. And I'm just such a big believer in this because I have seen what happens when people say yes, and I've seen what happens when people say no to the things that they really um, should be saying yes to. <laughs> Um, you know, so often we're afraid of life. We feel, we, we fear 
failure. You know, we that, that fear can be so debilitating. Um, we anticipate the worst, and you know, we because we don't know what to expect. Um, you know, we see situations where people do really well, and for some reason, we think, ah, you know, that's not for me. That's for them. That's their win. Um, and so, in doing so, we often say no to opportunities that are um, that really can grow us and that are put in front of us so that we can step into them and walk more deeply into our purpose. Um, and, and when we say no to these opportunities, we reject many of life's brilliant opportunities and brilliant chances. Um, and, and, you know, I, I do believe that these opportunities may present themselves in a number of different ways, um, you know, until it just kind of doesn't present itself anymore. But I also do believe that what is meant to be will be. Um, and so it's just a matter of how you step into it, when you step into it, and what life phase you decide to finally say yes to something. Um, we let our fears, instead of our creativity and love, guide us, and 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 we rationalize the no. Instead of allowing that creativity or the love for whatever it is um, that that we are pursuing, we you know we sometimes do not allow those things to to light to lead and to guide us. And when we don't. That's when we tend to find ourselves see, you know, say no. I've seen it a hundred of times where it's, you know, clients that I'm working with or friends that I have, people that are close to me. Um, it is just this debilitating weight of no um, that people carry. And, you know, it's, you know, typically when they say no to opportunities, um, they spend a lot of energy and a lot more energy justifying and explaining that no and convincing everybody that this is not what they're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, and everybody else can see it. And I know it's not about what everybody else thinks. Um, but sometimes when you have some credible people in your life, um, it's important to you know really just be willing to assess the situation more broadly. Um, instead of expending so much energy um, into why the opportunity that is laid before you is one that you're going to bypass. Um, I have to say, I'm here to say that, yes, uh, you know, there is times where the answer is no and it should be no. Um, but sometimes those no's come from fear. I just recently had that experience myself when I was presented with an opportunity that was absolutely amazing that I have not yet announced yet that I will announce very soon. Um, and I was presented with an opportunity in which I first said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. <laughs> and a couple of reasons for my no was I don't want to add more to my plate. Um, I don't want, I don't know that I'm necessarily um, a fit. And I, you know, I think those were my main two reasons. And I have friends and family who know how hard headed I am. And so as we talk through it, they just let me have my position. Okay. Well, you know, if you, if you say so, but um, as I was able to just kind of sit and process and take some time and really think about where is my no coming from? Is it coming from a place of fear? Is it coming from a place of love? Is it coming from a place of creativity? Where is it coming from? And as I assessed it, I realized it was really coming from a place of fear. Fear of losing time. Fear of not um, being able to meet 
the expectations because this is a stretch for sure, something that will cause me to stretch and grow. And, you know, I'm really comfortable. We all like to be comfortable, right? I'm I'm thriving in all of the things that I'm doing in my life. And so why not just kind of stay in a place of thriving? Um, and so the other piece there, though, is the fear, um, but also the, the need to stay comfortable as well as um, really not wanting to stretch in ways that I, I, I don't even know what to expect. <laughs> but I have this, I decided to say yes. I decided to step into it and I decided to say yes, say yes. And wow, you know, just the different, the flow or the flood of things that have already begun to go into motion just from saying yes. Um, so I, I highly recommend that you learn how to, and you're willing to say yes to the things that are important to you. Um, so, you know, by saying yes, we often need to say no to other things. So, we, you know, we've got to, discernment is a really important piece here. So to say yes to some things, we have to know how to say no to other things. Um, and so this is not about being a yes person or feeling pressured to do the things that we don't want to do. Um, it's about having the courage and the conviction to do the things that we really want to do, to do the things that we're really called to do, to do the things that we are are, are really um, here to do. Whew. So much. <laughs> There's so much here, but but um, you know, and these things do scare us sometimes. But we've got to really um, find ways to overcome, you know, those fears. Um, and, and there's a lot of research that's looking at fear nowadays. And, and I think it's really important to understand why we are, I guess, averse to some of the things that, that are presented to us um, and, then, and why we don't say yes sometimes. Um, Adam Smith, a life and motivational speaker, writes that there are 10 fears that hold people back from achieving their full potential. And, and I find these fears really interesting um, because I can I can pretty much attach some of them to the, the recent thing that I almost said no to. Uh, number one is the fear of inadequacy. And then we, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to be good enough for this. And I don't, I think I'm going to, it's going to show, um, you know, that my weaknesses are going to show up as a result of this. Um, and then you have the fear of uncertainty. And I, and I mentioned both of these with the recent opportunity that I've been presented with. Um, I don't think I'm going to be good enough. Um, uncertain. I don't know what to expect. I don't know the ways in which I'm going to get stretched and pulled um, and encouraged to move in a certain direction. Um, then there's a fear of failure. Um, a little bit different than inadequacy. Inadequacy is like, I might that we have. Um, and so when we have that need for human uh, connection, rejection um, is a very real fear because we have an innate need for um, those, those connections and that acceptance. Um, and then we have number five is the fear of missing out. We've heard of FOMO, right? Um, the fear of missing out. So if I don't go, um, you know, if I say, you know, yes to this opportunity, I might miss out on something that's happening over here. So I want to make sure that I'm present and that I'm here. And so if I'm not, I might miss out. And so that, that fear of missing out. And then there's the fear of change. So I, I, my life is good as it is. This is probably, I can, I can probably 
justifiably attach this if we want to re really make this personal to to dating to marriage and all of that i've i've really established a really awesome system in my life for for me and my daughter and it's like what does that mean to bring somebody else in fear of change because that is quite the drastic change then you have the fear of losing control um, you know, if you kind of have things under control, you kind of understand the flow of your life, if you know what to expect, and then all of a sudden you say yes to something that then inhibits your ability to control the outcome and the way that things play out for you, um, that is a very real fear. Um, and then we have the fear of being judged. How will people see me? Again, this is connected to that rejection. It's connected to that human connection piece. So that fear of being judged. Um, and then we have the fear of something bad happening. So this ambiguous, I don't know if I do it, if I take the trip, how do I know I'm going to be safe there? How do I know something terrible isn't going to happen if I take the trip? Um, and so this fear of something bad happening. And then last but not least, number 10, the fear of getting hurt. And this can be an emotional hurt. This can be a physical hurt, but the fear of experiencing pain as a result of, of uh, whatever it is that you may be saying yes to. Um, so those are the, the 10 fears that people um, tend to have um, that allows them or that keeps them, I should say, from achieving their full potential. Inadequacy, uncertainty, failure, rejection, missing out, change, losing control, being judged, something bad happening, and the fear of getting hurt. So think about the next time you have an invitation to join something or to do something or to step up to a new initiative. Think about if your answer is leaning toward no, I want you to think about the fears that are listed here that I've mentioned. And I want you to think about whether or not those fears, one or more of those fears is driving your decision to say no. And it's not that your fear isn't justifiable. It's not that your fear is necessarily irrational. Now, there are some, some irrational fears out there. It's not that it is inherently irrational, but it might be a signal to something that you may want to work on, something that you may want to overcome and rise above, because that fear probably shows up in other areas of your life. I'll say that again. <laughs> you want to pay attention to why you're saying no and whether or not it's attached to one of these fears, because that fear is something that probably shows up in some other area of your life. And it's probably something that you can benefit from working on and working through and making sure that that is not a fear that governs your life. So let's take number three, fear of failure. If you are governed by a fear, fear of failure, if you are inclined to say no to something because the fear is that you're not going to succeed and that you're going to fail at it, what kind of work can you do to ensure that that fear does not creep up in other parts of your life, that that is not how you make decisions in your life? So we're going to go to break. And um, when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. I... Uh, I, as you can tell, I love it. So stay with us. We'll be right back on the live exchange. Hey, welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I'm really happy to bring on um, a guest who is 
a friend who is a, a graduate of the Academy of Creative Coaching. She's a coach. She's got all kinds of amazing hats that she's wearing, um, but she also has a really amazing announcement, a new appointment. According to TMJ4, Arnita was named as the next leader of the Office of Violence Prevention in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett has named Arnita Holliman as the first director of the Office of Violent Prevention. According to TMJ4, Holliman has worked in the Office of Violence Prevention as a program manager for the resiliency in communities after stress and trauma effort. Her background is in psychology and counseling. Holliman is filling the role previously held by Reggie Moore, who left the department to lead the Violence Prevention Policy Engagement Department at the Medical College of Wisconsin's Comprehensive Injury Center. So I just have to bring Arnita on here. Hello. Oh, hello. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. Okay. So tell everybody what this means to be the director of violence prevention um, in, in Milwaukee. Um, it means a lot more, more work. <laughs> that isn't that what any promotion is, right? Right. Um, but it really means that um, I get the pleasure of serving the community and really lifting up um, prevention, uh, primary prevention as it relates to violence. And so this office started, um, I believe, in 2006. And the, the main focus was back then about uh, around domestic violence, sexual assault. Okay. Um, Reggie Moore came into the office, which was my predecessor. He came into the office in 2016 and really expanded the size of the office and the scope to include gun violence prevention, um, the, re the recast uh, program or grant that I was managing. So the resiliency in communities after stress and trauma. So um, I led the work around mental health and wellness for youth and families at most at risk for experiencing trauma. Um, in addition to adding the suicide prevention um, and really expanding kind of the work that the office was doing. We're still a very, very small office in comparison to um, other cities in their offices of violence prevention. Mm -hmm. However, we're doing, I think, you know, great work with a few people. Um, and so this role means that I get to continue working with adult team that are really <laughs> committed to that work. But also I get an opportunity to really elevate uh, mental wellness, uh, mental health and mental wellness as primary prevention in a way that hasn't been done in this office previously. Well, I, I would imagine, and congratulations again on that. This is, you know, today's show is all about being willing to say yes, and you said yes. yes. <laughs> and I'm imagining this is a pretty big yes, um, especially given what's happening um, over the past year with COVID, with all of the social justice movements that are going on um, that have really been bubbling up because these issues are not necessarily new issues um, from community violence to domestic violence. And then throwing COVID on top of that, I would imagine domestic violence has just gone up tremendously. Um, you know, how, what, what is your take on how these kinds of things can be addressed differently than they already are being addressed? So you're right, um, Dr. Pam, we've seen increases in domestic violence, in gun violence, unfortunately, um, as a result of, you know, a combination of the pandemic, isolation, um, right. and a number of other issues. So it's all of these factors 
um, and not just one of them. How we can address this and address it differently really is engaging the entire community. This is not work that OVP can do alone. And although we have amazing um, community partners and system partners, it has to be a joint effort. And that means also um, activists within the community. And they're out there doing amazing work, but we really yeah. have to be committed to working together um, and collaborating on that, including neighborhoods and individual residents. And so sometimes we're looking to someone to help, but really we there's a, something that all of us can do. And so we all have to take responsibility for seeing change and effectuating change um, mm -hmm. if we're going to see any significant change in what's happening. Well, it's, you know, and, and there's a lot of ways in which it, it can be discouraging. If we watch what's going on on TV, if we watch some of the, um, you know, I guess the backlash against some of the progress that's being that's that's being attempted or I actually I will say that's being made, you know, you know, against some of the progress that's being made. Um, it's it's hard for people to, you know, find hope in in. In progress. So what I see, you know, happening with you being appointed to this position is progress. I see a commitment. I see we are going to put our money where our mouths are to to make a difference. How do people continue to have hope or find hope that, you know, that there are changes that are underway and don't give up on it. Don't be discouraged. We, we're still moving forward. Yeah. So, um, you, you know that I'm a licensed therapist by trade. So of course, you know, my thoughts go immediately to, to how we process yeah. um, things. And so one of the ways to find hope is to find it in even the simplest and what may seem like the smallest mm -hmm. effort and the smallest change, because all of that counts. You don't get huge change um, drastically and um, immediately or quickly, yeah. it's, it's increments. And so if we can see the hope in the increments, and the other part of it is it, it can feel overwhelming and feel um, you can feel helpless when the task seems so huge, but it's what is in your power to control? What is in your power to do? If you do that, you're making change and you can also rest in the fact that that, that it is you know affecting something that's really important to you. And so what are the small things? If that small thing is I can talk to my neighbors yeah. or I know some people in my neighborhood that are, you know, wilding out that I, I can have a conversation with and start building a relationship or being able to, you know, call them in if things are getting out of control. That's something. And that's huge. Does that mean that you're going to see immediate change across the entire city from that that situation, not right away, but right. incrementally you will. And so where can we find those small pieces of hope um, in, in just the everyday things that we do? That's how we kind of maintain our hopefulness um, going forward. Yeah. What, what's the spirit of the people? And I'm sure there's there's probably a lot of different pockets of people with different mindsets, um, but, but Milwaukee has been in the spotlight a lot. In the, over the past year for a lot of different reasons, whether it's the mask, whether it's the voting lines, um, whether it is the the violence against, um, and I, can't, I cannot remember his name, but he was shot by police while he was get, trying to get back into his car. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, so there's been a lot of things that have come up over the last year, a lot. And, and what's the spirit of people and the sentiment that people are kind of carrying right now? 
I think overall residents are tired of the violence and be it community violence um, or uh, state, you know, or police violence. Either right. way, the community right. is exhausted with it. And when you're watching the news, you tend to hear all the horrible things that happen and you don't get to see all the wonderful things that are happening in the city um, mm -hmm. of Milwaukee. And so um, I encourage people to pay attention to what's happening well, yes. um, because that's helpful. But the other part is, you know, again, I know that folks are, they're exhausted and, and our city's hurting. And the reality is, is that anytime someone loses their life or they are severely injured or any of that, or they expo they're exposed to something traumatic, right. it has a pervasive impact on their mental and emotional well-being. And we can't continue to see violence in the community, be it right at our front door, within our homes, or on the news constantly and not be impacted by it. And so I think people need a break, a breather, an opportunity to heal. And so that's one of the things we're focusing on you know, in our office because we know that we have to heal in order to move forward. And I believe that we heal best in community. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I love most about Milwaukee is that community is solid, um, you know, in terms of support, the church community, the nonprofit community, the innovative Black entrepreneurs that are out there. Um, and and I, I just see a lot of activity and hope, um, you know, kind of embedded in all of that. Yeah, we, Milwaukee definitely is a strong community. And so for all of the, you know, folks that, you know, um, are frustrated with what's happening or the people that, are, that feel like I need to get away from here or move away. I mean, we need people who have the right attitude, who have the right spirit, and we need you to stay. Um, and yeah. that's how that's how the, the city gets better. And so I'm born and raised in Milwaukee, born and bred. I went to school here, college, everything. This is my city. And so I'm committed to being here um, and giving back to the city that gave me so much. And so that's the only way we really make changes when we do that and we do it together. So th there's this concept that, um, you know, post-traumatic growth, you know, I've talked about it quite a bit. Um, there's a researcher out there who, who um, and I, gosh, I, you know, I hate when I bring things up spontaneously, but what you're saying kind of brought this to mind because I can't think of the researcher, but she's a Mid Middle Eastern researcher. And she basically says that there's this idea that there is a privilege to the post. There's privilege to people who can have this idea of a post traumatic um, experience because there are so many people out there who don't get to post. They live pervasively in the violence or, or, or whatever it is that's traumatizing them. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious to know that for people for which this is pervasive, there's not, they're not in post traumatic. They're, this is a pervasive part of their lives. Um, you know, what would you suggest for them in terms of coping, in terms of finding help? You know, what can they do? That's a great question. Um, and understanding post-traumatic growth is extremely important because, you know, it helps us get through the roughest times and also um, build from them, right? It's the meaning making, it's how we use those things um, that weren't good and, and take them and use them for good in our lives. Um, and it's easy to say, you know, if you're, you're living in a community where there is, you know, a lot of violence, to just move. And that's, that's, that's very yeah. easy to say, but not easy to do. We hear right? that all the time. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah. it's not that easy to just pick up and move 
um, from your neighborhood for a lot of people um, or to completely be you know, away from someone who's harming you. But, but what I will say is reach out for help, that there absolutely is help. There's help to help you heal if you are in um, a domestic violence or family violence situation. There's definitely help there. Um, and so it's hard to heal when, when you're still being wounded constantly, yeah. but it's impossible. And so it's really about taking those minor steps along the way to reach out, get the help that you need and be consistent in it. Absolutely. And, and that's why I asked the question, because, you know, a lot of times people are, you know, like, oh, that's great. That's cute. You know, the person moved on and they're out of the situation. I'm still in it. What do I need to do? And so I think it's important for people to hear that. Absolutely. So um, I, I don't know. Do you, do you have another five minutes or are you I know you're kind of sure I could I can go another five minutes. OK, OK, <laughs> uh, because I wanted to dive into this just really quickly, this idea of saying yes. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the fact that a lot of this uh, saying yes, people are grounded in fear when it comes to just saying yes to the things that the opportunities that present themselves to you. Um, and, and, you know, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on what it means to say yes um, to opportunities, to your purpose, when, when there's just a whole lot of fear around it. Yeah, I don't think saying yes um, absolutely means there's not going to be any fear. Courage is needed in the face of fear. You don't have to be courageous when you're not fearful. Right. Um, and so saying yes means I'm saying yes to me. I'm saying yes to my purpose. I'm saying yes for me to God's will for my life, where I should be and what I should be doing. And yes to even making a move when it's time to make a move, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are many things we can say yes to. And I have been guilty of saying yes to too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is something I did not cover today. Day. That's right. a good point. <laughs> yeah, I am a yeser in recovery, but <laughs> but what I am committed to is doing God's work. I believe yeah. violence prevention and healing is God's work. Yes. Um, and so I will say yes wherever I need to say yes. I never came into this office with the intention of taking this role. I didn't see that for myself. Mm -hmm. um, but as things unfolded, I really believe that this was the next step for me. Um, to really help in a way, in a, on a larger scale that perhaps I, I hadn't in the past. And so I'm always up for saying yes to my purpose. I love it. I, you know, and it's interesting because I, I have a similar, um, I guess, scenario of, of saying yes to too many things. <laughs> um, and in a recent um, conversation I was having, you know, about a, an opportunity that's arisen for me um, was I had to ask the question, what does the commitment look like here? Because I have a lot of other things going on. What was the, what does the commitment look like? Um, and the answer was the best answer I could ever dream of getting, which was, well, you know, it's always hard to tell exactly what the commitment will be because as the position grows, you know, you never know what's going to come up. But if you step into this opportunity and you realize that it's too much, what's the worst that can happen? You tell us it's too much. And then we adjust. And I'm like, you adjust? <laughs> you know, yeah. that is yeah. the best mindset on both ends for me to ask the question and for them to say, we adjust. You're human. Absolutely. And, and I think that we, somewhere along the lines, we got the message that 
life will not adjust for us, that people will not accommodate our needs. And so many people will, and many instances will, and there are some that won't, but then you you just know what your next move is and what your plan B is. the reality is, is we have to say yes to ourselves. So we've, I think we've talked about this before. So whenever you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Yeah. Saying yes to something that's overwhelming or something that just doesn't fit is what you're doing. That means you're saying no to yourself every single time. And you're going to unfortunately deal with the consequences of that. And so it's better to be true to who you are, what you need, um, knowing what you can or you cannot give and where you have overextended. Um, and so and, that. and trust that yeah. it will, it, you, you will be led that you will move in the direction that God is leading you to move. Because yeah. if you put out there what you need and those needs are not feasible, then it's, it's an answer. It's a signal. So, um, we, but we are at the end. Um, this was just getting good, (laughs) but we are at the end. And I want to thank you so much for, for joining us today, Arnita. Um, and congratulations again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I want to thank you all for joining us and tuning in today into the live exchange where we exchange compelling dialogue around humanity, intellect, and change every Thursday um, from 11 to 1. Um, Next week, we'll be looking at minorities in technology, um, and it will be our last show of the season. So definitely tune in. Uh, I am really excited. We've had such a great season. So next week, we're going to make it just amazing. So together, uh, we can right the wrongs, we can speak the truth, we can rise above, and we can stand for change. Have an amazing week.